All right, well, let me read uh, our passage this morning. Like I said, it's James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Please look there with me. It says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, this week is our second week in the book of James. Last week, we looked at the first four verses, and we saw that we're called to consider it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. And that's very counterintuitive to us, right? When we face a trial, our first thought isn't necessarily joy. But James told us that those trials build up in us an endurance, a perseverance that would not, a steadfastness, as we see from the title of our series, that would not be there if we did not walk through that trial. And so remember I gave you that analogy of running. I'm training for this half marathon. And it's talking about like that painful breaking down of your muscles that you endure in training. Yet you need to go through that in order to build up the endurance that you are going to have in the future. So the more of that that you go through, the farther and faster you can go once you recover. So we saw that even though trials aren't fun, right? Nobody wants to go through a trial. Nobody's looking forward to a trial. Nobody's jumping for joy when they get that phone call with really bad news. Even though trials are not enjoyable to go through, we can still find joy in them because we can know that God isn't wasting them. I love that. Sometimes it can feel like our trial is just meaningless. God, why in the world are you having me go through this? And while we don't always know the answer, we can know that God does not waste any of those trials because he uses them to build up in us an endurance, a steadfastness, a perseverance. And so with, that, with all that in mind, what we talked about last week, this morning, I just want to ask you a pretty simple question to think about. How'd it go? How'd it go last week? How'd you do with it? Did you face any trials this last week? I'd venture to say in a room this size, the answer for many of us is yes. Maybe you did. So the question is, how did it go? Maybe for some of you, you can say, like, I found joy in it. I did it. <laughs> I was able to think differently about this trial than I was last week. Like, I really did. And if that's you, praise the Lord for that. That's God's word working in your heart. And I'd love if you would share that story with me. I'd love to hear it. I hope that for some of us, we were able to find joy in it. But I do wonder if for others of us, you might be feeling a little discouraged right now. Like, bummer. <laughs> I blew it again. I faced a trial. Had an opportunity to try to find joy in that trial, and I didn't do it. I would venture to guess that that is some of us in this room as well. And if that's you, there, I think there's probably a couple reasons why that might be. And the first, they're pretty simple reasons. First reason, I would just guess, is maybe, sounds weird, maybe you kind of forgot. You forgot to look for joy in the trial, right? Well, how, how, do, how does that happen? Well, James says to count it all joy, to consider it all joy. And those words, count it or, or consider it 
joy, almost have within them the connotation that you are training your mind to think about it differently. Because that doesn't come naturally. That's why James had to tell us to do it. If it came naturally, he wouldn't have to tell us to do it. But it doesn't come naturally. Our first instinct when we face a trial is not to find joy in it. And I would guess for many of us, myself included, you build up the habit of not finding joy in it so that when that trial comes, that first thought can go more towards what was me than God use this for your glory and for build up a steadfastness of faith in me. So for some of us, you might have just, you're still, that's spiritual growth, right? You're building up that muscle of your reflex being, I'm going to go to the Lord with this. I'm going to try to find joy in it. That might be some of us. Here might be the other reason that you didn't find joy in a trial this week. Maybe, again, it's pretty simple. Maybe you just don't know how to. Right? Maybe you walked out of here on Sunday, fired up, said, I'm going to try to find joy in my trials now because God's using them. And then the trial came this week. And you're like, I know I'm supposed to find joy, but I'm not finding it right now. I don't know how to do that. And it's from that that James writes the passage that we're talking about this week. Because I can relate to that feeling of, I want to find joy in this trial, but I'm not finding it. I don't know how to do that. I can relate to that in a big way. And thankfully, James has the answer for us in this passage, and it's pretty simple. Like I said last week, James is a pretty nuts and bolts guy, right? He's just practical. He just tells you like it is. He tells you what to do. He's not using a bunch of flowery language, a bunch of necessarily deep theological discussions. He just tells you what to do. That's the book of James over and over again. And this is what James tells us this week. If you don't know how to find joy in a trial, it's probably because you lack wisdom. You lack wisdom on how to do it. Look at verse 5 again. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, I love that if, if any of you lacks wisdom, like some of us not. I guess there might be some of us in here who don't lack wisdom. If that's you, feel free to, I don't know, you can put your headphones in, you can take a nap, whatever, someone will nudge you. When I won't be offended, I'll just assume that you already have all the wisdom that you need. If any of you lacks wisdom, So for those of you, you don't have to listen. For the rest of us, boy, do we desperately need this, huh? We need wisdom, specifically when it comes to walking through trials. And that's exactly what James is talking about here. Because what does he say in verse 4? That you may be, when you find joy in trials, because it produces steadfastness. Why? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what James just said in verse 4. And now in verse 5, he says, if you lack wisdom. So the connection here is the trial, going through the trial, is going to make it so you don't lack anything. But you still are probably lacking in something. And that thing is wisdom about how to walk through trials. Sometimes when you're going through a trial, you just simply don't know what to do. Right? Sometimes we walk through these just extraordinarily heavy seasons where you don't know which way is up. You don't have the answers. Anyone ever walk through a time like that? Anyone walking through a time like that right now? 
Sometimes this happens with grief, right? Like it just turns your world just completely upside down and say, God, I don't know what to do. I, don't, I can't even imagine getting up out of bed this morning, much less having the wisdom of knowing what to do from here. For some of you, you've walked through the grief of losing a spouse or losing a child even or having a miscarriage or pain of infertility or a million other things and, and you just get to this place of God, I don't know what in the world I'm supposed to do. For me, the time I can think of that, a trial just leaving me, me feeling just completely upside down and lost, and I know this was true of the vast majority of us in this room too, is when Pastor Kevin died, right? What are we supposed to do, God? God, what are we supposed to do? And it's there, from that place, that God speaks. He doesn't promise that we're not going to walk through those seasons, right? He doesn't ever promise that. His word never promises a life free from trial, a life free from pain, a life free from grief. Jesus lived a life of trial and pain and grief. So why would we expect anything different of ourselves, right? And yet doesn't leave us there. It's the beauty of our God. He doesn't leave us there. What does he promise us? Wisdom. Wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you need wisdom? Ask God, and it will be given to you. My Everyman and Warrior group, we've been, I've been noting all the wills in Scripture. If you're an underliner in your Bible, which we all should be, in my own personal opinion, underline that word will right there. God will give it to you. When the Bible says God will do something, will that thing happen? Yes. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and he will give it to you. And not only will he just give it to you, there's two words that James uses to describe how he's going to give it to you. God's attitude in giving it to you. He gives it to you generously, it says. Generously. It overflows from the heart of God. He gives it liberally. He's not stingy with his wisdom. Any of you have grandkids in here? Raise your hand. Many of you. Are you stingy with your grandkids? Sometimes. and They need it. What if they're asking for something that's good? Are you stingy with them? No. God gives generously. Overflows from him. If you ask God for wisdom, it's like he's just like waiting to give it to you. Just standing over, just waiting for you to ask. And he will pour it out. It will just overflow from him. He will give it to you generously. And not only generously, but joyfully. Joyfully. That's the meaning of without reproach. It says he'll give it without reproach. Reproach is a weird word. I didn't really understand what it meant when I first uh, read it. I guessed and I was wrong. So if you don't know what reproach means in this context, I, I, uh, I, I'm right there with you. So I looked it up because that's my job. And uh, it says, means basically without being disappointed. He's not frustrated that you came to him and asked for wisdom. Good grief. He's coming to me again. He needs wisdom. Why doesn't he just figure it out on his own? That's not God's attitude to you in 
you asking for wisdom. He's overjoyed to give you wisdom because he's a good father, is he not? And that's how good fathers treat their children. Matthew 7, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Wisdom is a good gift, and God's not going to be mad at you for asking him for it. He will give it to you generously, and he will give it to you joyfully. But Pastor Mike, is it really that simple? We just need to ask God for wisdom and he'll just give it to me just like that? Almost. Almost. There's a catch. Oh, there's two catches, actually. The first one is simply this. Again, it's, it's pretty simple. Not a lot of groundbreaking things in this passage, but it's things that we need to be reminded of because we need to remember the simple things, don't we? What's the first catch? You need to ask for it. You need to ask him. Kind of glossed over this. It says, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Seems simple, seems obvious, and yet, how many of us struggle with this at times? Here's my question Are you asking the Lord for wisdom? Are you asking the Lord for wisdom? Why do we so often fail to do that, right? Why is asking the Lord for wisdom? In prayer, our plan C or D or Z rather than plan A1, don't even think about it. It's just my reflex. I'm just going to bring it to the Lord right now. Some of you are amazing at that, really. Others of us struggle with that sometimes. I was like so excited about this. That's what one of the cool things about being a pastor is that it just seems like uh, the passage that you're preaching on, God just makes it just so applicable for throughout your life and uh, throughout the week. And uh, one, that you just it happens over and over again. And uh, this week, I was just there were people that I had was talking to several people and uh, just going through trial and didn't know what to do, and I was right there with them at a loss, right? I don't know what to do either, and I was so excited to say, not here's what you should do, but look at what God's Word says. God's Word tells us, if you need wisdom, guess what? We can ask Him, and He will give it to us. So let's go before, let's pray. Let's right now, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord for wisdom. I'm thankful for this passage this week, because that's not always my first reflex, Sometimes our first reflex is very different than that, and, and, and I think there's two reasons for that, that why we sometimes struggle to go before the Lord, bring these things before the Lord in prayer. Uh, pride is one, and fear is the other. I, I think pride can certainly get in the way. How many of us just like to be able to figure things out, do things on our own? This is, this is our culture, right? This is like baked into the like Midwest Hoosier American culture. Like we're a people who we figure things out on our own and we don't need to ask for help, right? Asking for help is a sign of weakness. Sometimes we think it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Recognizing your limitations on your own. Recognizing the limitations of your wisdom. That's what half of the battle is. It's recognizing the limits on your own wisdom. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask the Lord. I know what to do, so why do I need to ask the Lord? You might think you know what you need to do, but you probably don't. (laughs) And you're probably going to mess it up if you don't bring it before the Lord. And if you do bring it before the Lord, he will give you wisdom and help you know what to do. And so sometimes just our pride can get in the way of our seeking the Lord for wisdom. Some of you might be saying, Pastor Mike, I did pray for wisdom and nothing happened. I didn't feel any wiser. I didn't feel like I knew any better what I was supposed to do. I didn't feel any more confident than before I prayed. So what now, Pastor Mike? You're saying I'm going to get wisdom. I don't think I did. Well, you did. God's promises always come true. It doesn't mean, this verse doesn't mean that if any of you lacks wisdom, you don't know what to do, pray one time and God's just going to just show you the whole way. That's not what it means. But if we live a life where you are constantly going before the Lord in prayer, especially as you walk in trial and saying, God, I don't know the way forward. Help me. God promises that he will walk through that trial with you and show you the way forward. And it's not always going to be in your timing, and he's not going to always shine that flashlight as far ahead on the path as you might want him to. But he will give you wisdom for the moment that you need. It starts with a fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you live a life fearing the Lord first and foremost, he will reveal you wisdom to you. And that's why we need to cling to the promise of wisdom. But sometimes we're too prideful to ask. Sometimes we're too afraid of what his answer is going to be. Say, God, I need wisdom to go through this trial, but I'm not willing for the answer to be this thing. (laughs) It's got to be this thing. So just confirm my prior preconceived notion of what I'm supposed to do, God, so I can go along with my merry way. That's not how it works either. He doesn't promise it'll be easy. Sometimes you've got to step out in faith. But don't let your pride of thinking you know what to do or your fear of what his answer is going to be get in the way of you seeking the Lord for wisdom because this is a beautiful promise that he will give it to you if you ask. If you ask, that's the first catch. You gotta ask. We gotta be a people who are constantly going before the Lord in prayer. Secondly, there's another catch, which is that you need to have faith. Verse six to the end of the passage. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Read verse 6 again. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. I don't know about you, the first time I read that this week, I thought, "Uh uh-oh. It's a high bar to clear, right? No doubting at all. If you have any doubt, then God's not going to give you What you are asking for, is that what this passage is saying? Because that's not good news for any of us. We all struggle with doubt at times, right? Unless we're just uh, lying to ourselves. Even Abraham and Moses struggled with doubt. And they're commended for their faith, right? 
So does this really mean that if you have any sort of just doubt in your heart and your spirit as you come to the Lord, that he's just going to ignore your prayer? I don't think so. And the rest of this passage actually helps us see that in the context. Verse 6 says we're talking about someone who's like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. This is something, uh, so this is not talking about, so we're talking about waves, but not like the waves that are crashing on the shore. There's like the waves out in the middle of the ocean that are just kind of, right? They're just going wherever the wind takes them. I don't know if you can imagine like being out on a raft in the middle of the ocean, and uh, you're, where you, you're just at the mercy of the waves, are you not? Wherever they take you, you're just zoom, going to go back one way or the other. It says he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is, so this is not talking about people who are like truly seeking the Lord, but occasionally struggling with doubt. We all struggle with that, especially walking through trials. That's not what we're talking about. These verses are talking about someone who's constantly going wherever the wind takes them. One day they're asking for wisdom from the Lord. Next day they're asking for wisdom from the world. They don't care where that wisdom comes from. If the wind happens to blow them to the Lord, then that's great. If the wind happens to blow them somewhere else, that's just fine too. I've told you before that I... uh, and I had the unfortunate experience of growing up as a Michigan fan, living in Ohio, which brought about a lot of pain in and of itself. And uh, I have married into a family of Hoosier fans, like real Hoosier fans, which I didn't know. You know, I'm not from Indiana originally. I didn't know that real Hoosier fans like this existed to the level that they did. But boy, was I wrong about that. In fact, uh, my, my, my wife, my sweet, beautiful wife, um, she uh, one time ran into Matt Painter in a restaurant, the Purdue coach, and uh, she proceeded to trash talk him and tell him that they were going to lose to Indiana the next time that they played. So this is, these are like real Hoosier fans that we're talking about here. And at one time early on in our marriage, my brother-in-law is a Michigan fan too. We both married into this family of Hoosier fans. So one time early on in our marriage, uh, we were going to the Michigan-Indiana game down in Bloomington. And uh, my brother-in-law had these shirts printed up that were uh, cream and crimson, Indiana colors. They said, Michigan, right out across the front. And uh, they were brilliant because basically what we could do was just hedge our bets at that point, right? And these are the, these are the Brady Hoke years. I don't know if that means anything to anyone in this room, but basically it means that Michigan fans had a pretty sh- good idea that they, things weren't going to go well for them, even playing against Indiana, who were having their struggles of their own. The point is that if, when, you know, Indiana scores a touchdown, you just kind of put your hands over your chest and, woo, all right, go Hoosiers. And then Michigan scores a touchdown, you kind of, you know, you bust out your, your Michigan, yeah, that's right, and high-five the Michigan fans around you. But I couldn't lose, right? Walking out of the stadium, I was going to be in a good spot no matter what. Michigan loses the game, again, you just, all right, yeah, woohoo, go Hoosiers, big game. And Michigan wins, then you're wearing your Michigan proudly, even if it's in cream and crimson. And the, the point is, I was putting myself in a good spot to go with wherever the game took me, but I was not being a very good Michigan fan, obviously. I had good reason to not believe in my team, but I didn't believe in them nonetheless. And, and that's the kind of person that these verses are talking about, okay? That they're, they're not really following Jesus. They'll follow Jesus when it personally benefits them. They'll follow Jesus when that makes their life the easiest. They'll follow Jesus when they can see 
the good things about following Jesus. But the moment the tide starts to turn, the moment the wind starts to blow, the moment they might start to have to feel some real consequences in this life for following Jesus, they're just blown away to whatever the next thing that comes along. And that's the kind of person that James says can expect nothing from the Lord. It's not talking about the kind of person who occasionally struggles with doubt. I think about the man in Mark chapter 9, I believe it is, whose his daughter is sick. And he goes to Jesus. Jesus, heal my daughter. And, and he, what this man says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus sees that as great faith. And that's how we're called to come to the Lord, with our doubts sometimes. God, I believe, I believe, but just help me because I know there's something in my spirit that's still struggling. God, help me with my unbelief. And that's very different than being the kind of person who goes to Jesus when it's convenient and goes somewhere else when it's not. And so what's our application for this church? It's very simply, don't be that double-minded man or woman. Don't be like that. The Greek word for this is actually, it's, it's two-souled, like, like two, you have two souls within you. A soul that follows Jesus and a soul that follows the world. And that kind of person cannot expect to receive anything from Jesus. So don't be like that. Be all in. If you're following Jesus, follow Jesus. Don't just follow him for a little bit when it feels good or when you need something. Follow him. Trust him. Don't doubt. You don't need to have perfect faith. You just need to seek him with your whole heart. Are you walking through a trial or you don't know what to do? Ask the Lord for wisdom. He is waiting for you to come to him. You think you can run out of God's generosity? You think he's tired of you coming to him for wisdom? He's not. He will constantly pour out his wisdom on you when, it, when you ask, even if you don't feel it in that moment. Again, it doesn't mean I close my eyes, I say, Lord, give me wisdom, and I open my eyes, and just everything feels better. I feel like I'm just floating on a cloud. That's not what we're talking about. But he will give you wisdom, and you have to trust that he's giving it to you. He gives it abundantly. He gives it joyfully. It's a good gift. If you... Earthly parents know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does our perfect Heavenly Father know how to and desire to give good gifts to those who ask Him? We have a good Father. Amen? All right, well, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom. Heavenly Father, God, we just praise You. We thank You for these promises in Your Word. God, You don't promise us that we're never going to walk through trial. But when we do, God, you give us these incredible promises that the God of the universe is right alongside us. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. And you'll give us wisdom when we need it, God. And we need it. Lord, help us to remember that we need it. Sometimes we just don't even think that we need it. We think we have the right answers. We think we know what we're supposed to do. So what's even the point of coming to you, God, and just reveal that in us when it shows up in our hearts, God? And Lord, if we're maybe afraid of what you're going to say, help us to trust you. Lord, help us not be like the double-minded man who's just being tossed one way to the next. Help us to be single-minded in our pursuit of you, Jesus. That's the kind of people we want to be, who pursue you with our whole hearts. 
And even though it's hard, even though we're going to mess up over and over and over again, we'll understand that your grace is sufficient for us. We're going to continue seeking you. So build us up and to be that kind of people, Lord. I pray if there's anyone in this room who's just struggling with a trial, even right this very moment, and doesn't know what to do, God, that you would generously give wisdom abundantly and joyfully. We thank you that we can cling to that promise that you will do that because you are a good father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.